0: Section zero of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume One by john calvin translated by reverend john pringle translator's preface part one the sixteenth century was distinguished by a large and valuable accession of expositors of the sacred volume mosheim reckons up not fewer than fifty-five writers who in the course of that century DEVOTED THEIR LABORS TO A GREATER OR LESS EXTENT TO THE INTERPRETATION OR ILLUSTRATION OF THE INSPIRED WRITINGS. A CIRCUMSTANCE WHICH AT ONCE INDICATED THE PROGRESS OF THE PRINCIPLES OF THE REFORMATION AND CONTRIBUTED MOST MATERIALLY TO THEIR DIFFUSION. NOR WERE EXPOSITORY TREATISES, IN ILLUSTRATION OF THE SACRED SCRIPTURES, SIMPLY INCREASED IN NUMBER they were marked by a decided improvement in point of intrinsic value it is to the honour of a large proportion of the interpreters of that age that rejecting the practice so well exposed by bishop horsley of drawing i know not what mystical meanings by a certain cabalistic alchemy from the simplest expressions of holy writ they made it their endeavour In every case to ascertain the true meaning of the spirit of god by a careful examination of the text and context in unbending integrity of purpose in the investigation of the inspired oracles which must be regarded as one of the primary excellences of an expositor john calvin is surpassed by none in his own or indeed in any age his readers even where they may not be prepared to adopt his interpretation of a passage cannot fail to perceive that it is his sincere desire and honest endeavor to ascertain its true meaning his uprightness of design is more especially observable in connection with passages bearing on controverted points in such cases the candid reader will discover no disposition to rest a single expression for the purpose of enlisting it on the side of a particular system of opinion but on the contrary the utmost fairness of interpretation is uniformly apparent everyone that is acquainted with calvin's history and considers the trying scenes through which he was called to pass must feel astonished that he should have found leisure to prepare in addition to all his other writings commentaries on nearly the whole of the sacred scriptures that he wrote so much and more especially as an expositor appears to have been chiefly owing to the frequent and urgent solicitations of his intimate and beloved friend farrell who not merely entreated calvin but frequently urged him with great vehemence to write one commentary after another from a conviction that he possessed the gifts requisite for exposition in a very extraordinary manner and that with the blessing of god his works of this kind would be extensively useful being an inconsiderable man myself said he i am wont to require very much from those that possess the greatest excellence and often press them hard to labor beyond their strength it was his conviction that every one who had received superior talents was bound to devote them to the advancement of the kingdom of god the epistles of paul to the corinthians form a most important part of the sacred writings though not so systematic as the epistle to the romans they contain many passages bearing directly on the fundamentally important doctrines of the christian system while they are of the highest utility in connection with practical theology the disorders that had unhappily crept into the church at corinth gave occasion for the apostles handling at greater length than in any of his other epistles various important points as to doctrine and worship while the relaxed state of discipline that had begun to prevail among them rendered it necessary to exhibit more fully the principles which ought to regulate the administration of the christian church in this the overruling hand of him who brings good out of evil is strikingly apparent While in the selection of the particular places into which the gospel was first introduced, and in which Christian churches were first planted, there is a display of divine sovereignty which it is beyond our power to fathom. This, at least, is abundantly manifest that the places selected were not those in which the triumphs of the gospel were likely to be most easily effected, but quite the reverse as the skill of the workman appears so much the more strikingly when the tools employed by him are few and simple and the materials to be wrought upon are hard and unyielding so the wonders achieved in the first ages of the church through the foolishness of preaching first corinthians chapter one verse twenty one excite so much the more our astonishment when we take into view the peculiarly formidable obstacles that opposed its progress in the places that were selected as the scenes of its triumph of this the inspired narrative furnished in the acts of the apostles presents numerous and striking illustrations and when we observe the particular churches to which paul's epistles are addressed in the order in which they are presented to our view in the new testament it might almost seem as if the order of arrangement had been designed for the very purpose of calling our particular attention to the fact that the triumphs of the gospel had been most signal in those places in which its success might have appeared most unlikely it is a remarkable circumstance and assuredly it is not to be looked upon as merely accidental that the christian church to which the first of paul's epistles in the order in which they stand is addressed is one that had been planted not in some obscure village or inconsiderable town or even in some city of secondary importance but in rome itself the metropolis of the then known world while the second of the churches to whom paul's epistles are addressed is that of corinth a city that was proverbial among heathens themselves for its extraordinary profligacy and consequently the most unlikely place of all to be the scene of the triumphs of a religion that will allow of no compromise with iniquity when paul first visited corinth appearances were most unpromising but having received special encouragement from his divine master he continued to labor at corinth for a year and six months acts chapter eighteen verse eleven and such was the success of his labors in that profligate city that after enumerating some of the worst descriptions of character he says to the corinthian converts and such were some of you first corinthians chapter six verse eleven while however the notorious wickedness that prevailed at corinth was the occasion of illustrating so much the more clearly the power of christianity in subduing human depravity that extreme dissoluteness of manners to which the corinthian christians had been addicted previously to their conversion and which was daily witnessed by them in the unconverted around them was fitted to exert a most injurious influence and while the disorders that prevailed in the corinthian church after paul left them were in part attributable to the insidious efforts of false teachers there seems every reason to believe that they were in a very considerable degree owing to the contagion of corrupt manners around them it is to this that we must trace their preference of the ornaments of speech to the plain unadorned doctrine of the cross their party jealousies their vexatious lawsuits their unseemly fellowship with heathens in their idle feasts and their philosophical speculations leading them to question the possibility of a resurrection from the dead while the flagrant case of incest fallen into by one of their number and connived at by the others must still more manifestly be ascribed in part to the contagion of evil example yet even in this we have occasion still farther to mark the overruling hand of god in making evil subservient to good the disordered state of the corinthian church having given occasion for exhortations and reproofs that are fraught with invaluable instruction to the church of christ in every successive age calvin's commentary on the first epistle to the corinthians was first published in the year fifteen forty six and his commentary on the second epistle was published in the course of the same year it was a year that was greatly unfavorable to calvin's repose he was obliged to cheer the drooping spirits of the genovese whom the design of charles v against the reformed religion had alarmed but besides the cares which the fear of all these evils occasioned him he was deeply afflicted at the state of geneva and the general and daring profligacy of its inhabitants in the course of the same year as it is stated by beza one of the members of the senate instigated it is supposed by two ministers of the consistory both of them given to drunkenness and not less afraid than others of the rigor of the law, accused Calvin of preaching false doctrine. It may well appear surprising that in such circumstances he should have found leisure for preparing this valuable portion of his expository works. This, however, is not peculiar to this portion of his commentaries, for the greater part of them were prepared amidst numerous engagements and harassing occurrences yet they do not bear the marks of haste but might seem to have been prepared in quiet retirement the reader will observe that the dedication which is prefixed to the commentary on the first epistle to the corinthians in all the ordinary editions of calvin's works bears date in fifteen fifty-six it is however stated at the same time by calvin in the close of the dedication that the commentary to which it is prefixed had been originally published by him ten years previously it will farther be observed that in the commencement of the dedication calvin alludes to an individual to whom he had originally dedicated the commentary but whose name he had been under the painful necessity contrary to his usual manner of erasing from his writings the individual alluded to is james of burgundy the original dedication which is exceedingly rare is contained in lettres de calvin a jacques de bourgogne kindly allowed to the translator by mr lang edinburgh from the library of writers to the signet a translation of that dedication as well as of the one that was subsequently prefixed by calvin to this part of his commentaries will be found below the circumstances connected with the case of james of burgundy are briefly stated by bale in his dictionary article philip of burgundy in the following terms james of burgundy lord of falais grandson i suppose of baldwin another natural son of duke philip professed the protestant religion but being scandalized at the disputes which arose at geneva between bolsec and calvin in the year 1551, he and his wife turned aside from the doctrine of the reformed he had carried it fair in the church several years calvin dedicated to him his commentary on the first epistle of st paul to the corinthians but afterwards he suppressed that dedication and prefixed another to the marquis of vick farther bale in the article calvin remarks when speaking of baze's life of calvin we do not find in the edition of 1564. In duodecimo, what I have transcribed from the folio edition of fifteen sixty five, when I said that the grandson of a bastard of Philip, the good Duke of Burgundy, forsook the Church of Rome. The editor of Lettres de Calvin states that after much fruitless search in many quarters for two documents referred to in Calvin's letters, namely, the dedication of calvin's commentary on the first epistle to the corinthians and an apology for the master of Falais, presented to the emperor charles v and composed by calvin he had at length obtained them from one of the librarians of geneva the dedication he states had been transcribed from a copy that is present at strasburg these pieces he adds arrive just in time for being printed in the last sheet of the letters to which i have not failed to append them as being absolutely necessary to render them intelligible i flatter myself that the public will receive them with delight as an authentic document hitherto wanting in the ecclesiastical history of this country even those who have neither interest nor inclination for knowing this history to the bottom will admire the beauty of calvin's genius the insinuating turns of the dedication and the liberty and modesty that reign equally in the apology and they will agree with me in thinking that calvin was no less expert in the art of pleading than he had been in the art of preaching James of Burgundy was the grandson of Baldwin, a natural son of Philip, Duke of Burgundy, whom the Emperor Maximilian in fifteen o one put in possession of Falais, a manor of Brabant situated on the borders of the county of Namur, upon the river Mohain, between the towns of Huy and Anguy. He was elevated to the court of the Emperor Charles V. He embraced the views of the Protestants at the age of fifteen. He afterwards married Yolanda of Brederode, a descendant of the ancient Counts of Holland, and aunt to Henry of Brederode. This marriage increased the suspicions that he had conceived as to the religion in which he was brought up so that he adopted the resolution of leaving his native country where he reckoned his life no longer safe his withdrawment led to a lawsuit before the court of Malines for the confiscation of his lands during his exile the master of filet changed his abode from time to time having taken refuge first at cologne afterwards at strasburg and at Basel and last of all at geneva there is ground to believe that he was a person of merit upon the testimony of calvin himself who after pronouncing upon him the highest eulogiums in his dedication to the first epistle to the corinthians carried on a familiar correspondence with him for nearly ten years and takes pleasure in subscribing himself very frequently his friend unreservedly for ever it is true that this friendship did not always continue but on the contrary changed into irreconcilable aversion it may at first view be thought that the fault was altogether on the side of the master of fillet and that calvin must have had sufficient reasons for carrying matters so far we must however beware of forming a rash judgment we often see the greatest animosities between the best friends arise out of nothing frequently the two parties are equally in the wrong and in many cases the fault is found to have been on the side of the one that had been least suspected the reader who peruses superficially the statement of beza quoted by bale might imagine not merely that the master of fillet had approved of all that bolsec had done or said but also that he entirely abandoned the side of the protestants and entered again the communion of the romish church he might therefore fall into a mistake on all these points i do not believe that the master of Fillet ever thought of approving of the conduct of bolsec who ventured in a full church to contradict a minister when preaching the doctrine of predestination neither calvin nor beza say so besides the master of Fillet protests in his apology that he has no sympathy with those that support their religion in a turbulent and seditious manner assuredly he must have been a fanatic to do what bolsec did on that occasion but to say that he had done well he must have been a downright madman nor is there any better proof that the master of filet was of bolsec's opinion on the subject of predestination calvin beza and castalio himself who would not have failed to mention it say no such thing besides this the confession of the master of filet such as he had published in his apology is quite in unison with calvin's sentiments and it may be presumed that he had not renounced these views in three years afterwards while experience tells us that persons do not readily change the speculative opinions that they have once imbibed what was then properly the ground of quarrel between calvin and the master of filet in my opinion it was this after Bolsec had been put in prison on the sixteenth october fifteen fifty one for having contradicted the doctrine of calvin and given occasion of offence in the church calvin was disposed to punish him with all possible severity To accomplish his purpose in accordance with forms, he asked the opinion of the churches of Switzerland, hinting to them at the same time what he desired from them. We are desirous, says he, to clear our church from this pestilence in such a way that it will not, on being expelled from it, do injury to the neighboring churches, meaning, plainly enough, that he must either be put to death, or, suffered to remain in prison during his whole life the master of fillet was of another mind whether it was that he was influenced by a regard to his own interest and that being sickly he imagined that his life depended on that of his physician or whether it was that from a principle of humanity and christian forbearance he reckoned that bolsec's imprudence did not merit so severe a punishment he wrote to the clergy of the cantons or to his friends in that quarter and thereby defeated the design of calvin who received replies less full and distinct and much more moderate than he had expected and desired calvin finding himself thwarted by the master of fillet got into a passion broke entirely with him and roused up against him so many enemies at geneva that he was obliged to retire into the district of vaux judge now which of the two was in the right calvin or the master of Fillet. i do not know what became of the master of Fillet after this time nor when he died nor where nor in what communion. I cannot, however, subscribe to the views of Mr. Bale, who says that the Master of Fillet turned aside from the doctrine of the Reformed, and that he renounced the Reformed Church. I am of the opinion that Beza, on whose authority Mr. Bale proceeds, means nothing more than this, that the Master of Fillet left the Church of Geneva on quarreling with calvin this does not mean that he renounced the reformed church or abandoned the protestant party for it was possible to quarrel with calvin to reject his views on predestination and on persecution and spurn the discipline of the church of geneva and yet after all be as good a protestant and member of the reformed church as calvin himself from the extracts furnished above from an introductory notice by the editor of the work already referred to lettres de calvin a jacques de Bourgogne, it will abundantly appear that the writer is desirous to present as favourable a view of james of burgundy as the circumstances of the case will at all admit of his attempt to show that james of burgundy may have after all remained in connection with the reformed church appears to be more ingenious than solid and seems directly at variance with a statement by calvin in his second dedication to this part of his commentaries to this effect that the individual to whom the former dedication was addressed has intentionally made it his object not merely to withdraw as much as possible from me personally but also to have no connection with our church this expression naturally conveys the idea that he had not simply left the church of geneva but had withdrawn entirely from the reformed church but however matters may have been as to this the case as a whole was of such a nature as could not fail to be painful in the extreme to the mind of Calvin. In proportion, however, to the pain excited in his mind by this distressing case, must have been the happiness afforded him by an occurrence of an opposite nature, which took place about the same time. End of section zero. Recording by Lucretia B.